Hey everyone, it's Irene from Bay Wellness Coaching. Today, I wanted to highlight one of the lesser known parts of the LGBTQ plus spectrum. We will be highlighting one of the A's in the community, which stands for asexuality. It's actually an umbrella term. So there's actually a range of where people may identify. Some asexuals, also often referred to as aces, may have low or no sexual attraction or interest in sex. So some people do enjoy being in emotional relationships and some do not. Some aces identify as gay, straight, bi, or some other type of orientation, while some don't have any attraction at all. So this is not to say that we're gonna be able to talk about every single ACEs experience. This is really just one person and one story. So today I'm really excited to have Mary on the call who will be sharing their experiences. So thanks again for being on the show today. So to start- hey, Thank you for off, having me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So to start off, how did you first figure out that you were on the ACE spectrum? Okay, so um, to talk about kind of how I came to my identity, first I just wanted to start off um, with a little extra information. So um, I identify as what we call asexual and also what we call aromantic, which means that not only have I never really had any kind of that sexual interest or sexual attraction towards other people, I've also never really felt any particular kind of romantic interest or connection either. Um, and so in terms of figuring out kind of what was going on with my sexuality and my identity, I think that lack of sexual interest and lack of romantic interest were really tied together, especially when I was younger and like I didn't even wasn't even thinking about the difference between like what's romantic and what's sexual. I just sort of knew that I was not interested in boys or girls or anyone else. Um, and so when it came to kind of, I think, figuring out that I was asexual and romantic, in some ways it was a process of realizing that everyone else wasn't. Uh, because for me, when I was younger, I, I knew very early on that I was not particularly interested in boys or later in girls or anything like that. But, you know, I just used to think like, oh, well, nobody's really interested in boys at this age. I used to think like, oh, you know, those girls who are talking about their crushes or like hot celebrities, that's, they're faking it for attention, right? You know, like teen romance, total Hollywood trope. It's like just one of those fake things they put in teen movies. No one actually cares. Because I didn't care. So, you know, surely everyone else felt the same way. Um, I was maybe more than a little bit oblivious at that point. But eventually I did start to kind of pick up on the fact that, okay, you know, maybe not everyone is faking it. Um, but even still, I didn't think about it that much because I was thinking, you know, like when you take sex ed, they tell you, you know, like, no, don't have sex. Your peers will pressure you to have sex, but don't give in to peer pressure. And so I just thought like, oh man, I am so good at resisting peer pressure. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's also one of those things where all the examples of, you know, it's like, okay, well, when you are like attracted or in love with someone, you like date them and then you get married. And I thought, okay, well, who do I know that's married? Oh, my parents and all like my friend's parents. So, you know, like getting attracted and falling in love and getting married, that's something for like old people, right? That's not for people my age. Um, but, you know, eventually I kind of came out of my bow, became a little less oblivious and eventually came around to the fact that, okay, no, lots of other people are seriously interested. They're not just pretending to be adult. They're not just faking it for attention. Um, so then the kind of next step in my process, was I, I thought, okay, well, if I'm the odd one out, 
maybe I'm just a late bloomer, you know? When I was like 14, 13, 14, I thought like, okay, well, you know, puberty is just starting to do its work. I'm sure in a month or a year or so, I'm just going to wake up and be like, oh my God, I understand it. I like boys now. Um, I thought that, you know, I just had to, to wait a little longer. Um, and, you know, I had many friends who were, you know, not getting interested in boys at that point yet either. So I said, okay, I'll just figure it out. I'll wait till it happens, figure it out next year. Um, but then, you know, more time passed, more of my friends who were sort of, you know, late bloomers, as they might be called, started to kind of get more interested and like start having crushes and things like that. So then I was like, okay, I might just a, an extra late, late bloomer. Um, and then I start, that's when I found when I started to think, okay, maybe I'm not interested in boys because I'm actually just interested in girls and haven't realized it yet. Um, but you know, a couple of weeks of looking at girls and being like, are they cute? Uh, is, am I feeling something now? No. Um, I was kind of figuring out, okay, well, I'm not interested in boys, but I'm not any more interested in girls either. So then I was kind of back to the drawing board. So it's like, okay, so maybe I am just an extra late, late bloomer, or, you know, maybe I'm like bisexual and just really confused and bad at it. Um, but to some extent at that point, I was just like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not going to think about it right now. I'm gonna think about like, getting good grades and anime and other things instead, and I'll figure out the whole sexuality thing later. Um, but that was actually when I happened to be stumbling around on the internet. I was actually on a site called tvtropes.org, which if you're familiar with it, one of those sites where you can spend hours just like clicking links to like another page, I mean like reading about something, oh, that sounds interesting. Oh, what's this other thing? And you know, you mean to spend 20 minutes reading an article and suddenly three hours later, you've read a hundred pages of things you never expected to read about. That's, that's just my same experience <laughs> on Wikipedia. I'm like reading Wikipedia and then I'm like, how did I end up reading about this war in some random country that I've never even been to? Yeah. Yeah. And then at, so at some point, um, while reading through all these like random wiki pages, I ended up uh, going through the long list of every single TV trope sexuality page. And while going through that list, I stumbled on this page that was called Asexuality. Um, and I started reading it and it was talking all about how, you know, there's, there's these people who identify as asexual and they have a whole community. Um, and it talked not just about, you know, fictional asexuality, but it also had all these links to this place called AVEN, the Asexual Visibility and Education Network. Um, and it was kind of a weird feeling reading this page because this was the first time that I had seen descriptions of sexuality that sort of resonated with me. Um, and as I read through that um, TV Tropes page, then I went to Wikipedia and I went to the Avon homepage and I started reading the personal stories that people had posted there. And it was this weird feeling of like, oh, this, this is me. This is like what I experience. Um, and that was kind of the first time that I'd ever really had that experience. Um, because before now, whenever I would read descriptions of sexuality in like, you know, those chicken soup for the teenage soul type books or seeing things in books or in movies, the way people talked about like sexuality and romance, it always had felt a little bit fake to me. And I always thought it was one of the things where like, oh, you know, it's when they make movies and things, people will exaggerate things. It's just not realistic. It's you know, it's, the media doesn't reflect reality. Um, so I had just thought that, you know, nobody relates to these sexuality narratives in the media, right? Um, but then I finally had the experience of, of reading something that did relate to me, and I realized, oh, the problem wasn't that 
you know, media depictions are hard to relate to. It's just that I had never seen any media depictions of somebody who was like me. Um, although I will say that that was kind of the, the first spark that made me start thinking like, oh, you know, maybe asexuality is something for me. Maybe this is like a, a third or fourth option that I didn't even know existed. Um, and it was sort of funny because I had actually joked about being asexual before in a non-serious way. Um, you know, because it was, even if we didn't know why yet, it was very obvious to my friends that I was not interested in boys or dating or romance or any of that. Um, and I used to joke that, you know, like, oh, I don't, I don't need to date and get married because I'm going to reproduce asexuality, asexually. You know, I'm going to come in one day and my arm's just going to like drop off. It's going to bud into a little mini me who's then going to like slowly grow to full size. Um, but I had never really, you know, as much as I had joked about that, I had never really known that like asexuality as an orientation was an option. I thought that everyone would start getting, you know, crushes and sexual interests someday. I just thought it took more effort to figure out, you know, who I wanted to do it with. Um, but now that I had found this online asexual community, you know, I started taking time to kind of read through more of these experiences. I did a lot of lurking on the forum. Um, and I still, it still took me a long time to actually come into my identity because I just kind of cycled through all of these doubts, you know, like what if, what if I am just too young to know? Um, or what if I really just haven't met the right person yet? You know, what if I'm wrong and a year from now I wake up and I did get the extra late puberty magic and I realized like, oh, I actually do like people. Um, so I it was kind of a slow road from progressing from, you know, like, learning about asexuality to thinking of myself privately as, you know, like maybe questioning asexuality to identifying um, to people online as, you know, tentatively asexual. Um, for a long time, I was sort of hesitant to embrace it without some kind of qualifier. Um, but then eventually, like around the end of high school and when I was starting um, to get ready to go to college, I kind of reached a point where I sat down and thought about, you know, it's like, no, I'm kind of tired of waiting for something to happen. Um, and you know, if somebody asks me, you know, like, oh, so do you identify as like gay or straight or what? You know, like, uh, I'm not sure. Let me get back to you in two years once I find out whether I'm a late bloomer or not. It's, you know, not really a satisfying answer to that question. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to the point where it's like, okay, right now, asexual is the thing that feels least like lying. Um, you know, like if I tell someone like, oh, I'm straight or like, oh, I'm gay. It, you know, it just felt like a lie, whereas telling someone like, hey, I'm asexual, that felt right. And I figured, you know, if something happens in the future that changes that experience, you know, that's a problem for future me. Mm -hmm. um, right now, asexual makes the most sense, so I might as well just start using it. And then, you know, 10 years on from there, um, turns out asexual is still the right label. So I, looking back, I definitely didn't need to worry about it quite so much. Um, but I think it just took a lot of time to kind of grow into my skin because one of the things that's tricky about coming to an asexual identity is there's, there's no single aha moment. Like I can't point to like, oh, you know, if I've liked three boys, maybe that would mean I would straight. If I had liked three girls, maybe that would mean I had, was a lesbian. If I had liked three boys and three girls, hey, maybe, you know, I'm bi or, or something like that. But with me, it's asexuality is so much about the absence of evidence. Mm -hmm. um, that it can, it can take more of a kind of leap of faith to really become comfortable in that identity, um, especially just because I didn't even know for so long that it was an option. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like a thinking about, like, you know, am I sexual or not? It was just sort of, 
I thought that gay, straight, and then maybe bi or pan were kind of the three choices you had. And then it was a matter of trying to figure out like, okay, how can I like shove myself into one of these boxes, even if none of them seem like they fit? It was just a huge revelation knowing that like, hey, there's, there's other boxes out there. Oh, that's amazing. Like the, that's a, you have such a great way of, of sharing your story. And it's amazing that you just kind of were looking online and you stumbled them on the TV tropes website and then found this other resource. Like what are some other resources for people who are kind of questioning about being ACE or want to get involved with the ACE community? Um, so I think for those who are, you know, first learning about asexuality and, you know, haven't, heard of it at all before, um, who just want to start with like the basic 101 introduction. Um, one thing I would recommend is there's the, um, there's a group called Aces and Arrows. Um, is that acesandarrows.org, I think. Um, I can give you the link to put in the comments. Um, they have a guide that's um, to understanding asexuality and aromanticism, which is like a quick, it's very easy to read. It's, you know, only takes 20 or 30 minutes to read the entire thing. And it's an introduction to the basics of the ACE community and some of the common terms and concepts that you may encounter in ACE communities. And as a bonus, it also gives an introduction to aromantic communities and their terms and concepts. Um, so it's a two for one resource. Um, also, honestly, even like the, the Wikipedia page for asexuality is also pretty decent if you just wanna get that first kind of initial introduction to what asexuality is. Um, but then moving beyond just the basic 101 and onto the sort of 201 topics of asexuality, um, I would actually recommend reading about the personal experiences of various asexual people, especially because asexuality can differ so much from person to person. So rather than learning about just one perspective, I think it's most helpful to learn about, you know, the perspectives of dozens of different people, just because there is so much variance. Um, and one of the great ways to get a lot of those different perspectives are to check out, there's a couple of ongoing um, ace writing anthologies. Um, the kind of top three that I would recommend are first, there's um, a blogging carnival known as the Carnival of Aces, which is run by um, the Asexual Agenda, which you can find at asexualagenda.wordpress.com. Um, and so that's um, a carnival of ace bloggers where they will host a carnival every month on a specific topic, which might be asexuality and coming out, uh, asexuality in the media, or asexuality in religion, or asexuality in race, or any of these kinds of topics. Um, and then they will invite asexual writers to kind of submit their stories every month. It's been running for years, so there's a huge archive that you can read through. Um, on a similar note, there's also uh, a slightly more formal asexual literary journal called the AZE Journal, which I believe publishes quarterly um, and also collects stories from many different ace people that are loosely tied to a specific theme. Um, and then finally, there's also from uh, AVEN, the Asexual Visibility and Education Network, they have a publication called the Avenues Magazine, which is another quarterly magazine that, again, collects the stories of several different ACE people. Um, so I recommended getting started from there. And then once you read those, um, when you start reading those um, anthologies, you may start seeing names of authors that may be of interest. And so from there, I encourage you, if you read some piece of writing that are interesting, you now see if they have a blog, look up their blog, see what other kinds of things they talk about from there. Um, and then finally, for if you're looking for more information, not just on asexual stories, but also about like activist resources, actual meetup groups and things like that. Um, the local group that I'm a part of actually has a directory of some common resources set up. 
So if we go to asexualitysf.org slash resources slash general ACE resources, or just click on the resources link on our homepage, we have a whole list of some of our generally recommended resources, as well as contact information if you want to email us and ask about any other more specific resources you might be looking for, we're happy to give recommendations. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome in this day and age when you can really just go online and find so many different resources, like from like specific pages to like writing publications, people sharing their stories. Like you can even find community on Facebook or on Instagram. And like, there's just so many tools to get educated nowadays. It's really amazing. And I'm really happy to hear that. It's great that you're involved. Um, and then just in terms of more of like the coming out process, did you have any interesting experiences during your coming out? Yeah, so when it um, comes to coming out, you know, there's, there's a whole variety of experiences that tend to come up. Um, some of the, I don't know, I guess it's interesting by some definitions. I know one of the things that was unusual is when I first stumped carded coming out as asexual at a time when it was definitely nowhere near as well known as it is now. Um, one of the interesting things was just seeing what kind of strange questions we would get. You know, there were a lot of people who, as soon as they found out you're asexual, suddenly become very fascinated by the topics of, uh, you know, like, oh, but do your, like, genitalia, do they, like, work? You know, do you, like, self-pleasure? And other things, it's like, whoa, we met five minutes ago. Are you sure this is an appropriate topic to be asking me about? Um, there's also, you know, like, the, the constant jokes about, like, oh, so, like, a plant? Uh, I don't know, I, I must admit I'm guilty of encouraging some of the bad puns, um, just because I also like making asexual amoeba jokes, um, even though they are not accurate. But um, in terms of kind of not just like the, the glib one-line reactions, I think one of the most interesting experiences um, that I had once I started kind of coming out about asexuality, um, which is something I didn't really do until I was in college and a little more kind of comfortable with my own identity, it was over the last couple of years of coming out, it's just finding out how many other people I knew turned out to also be asexual. Um, in my particular case, it turns out, you know, back when I was in high school, I never really talked about sexuality or anything like that with any of my close friends. It's one of those things where most of my questioning was done kind of quietly and internally. And, you know, I wasn't even sure what I thought about it. So I definitely wasn't really interested in talking about it with that many other people yet. Um, so at the time, you know, we had never really talked with a lot of my friends about sex or sexuality or um, sexual identities or anything like that. And for a lot of my friendships, you know, most of what we talked about was, you know, classes and classwork or anime and Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, you know, things that didn't really involve sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't until I had started coming out as asexual that some of these other friends from college started, you know, so all of these other friends from high school started messaging me and saying like, hey, so I know you've been like talking about that whole asexuality thing a lot recently. And, uh, you know, I think I might also be asexual. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of friends of friends who, you know, I had known as like, oh, this is my sister's friend from camp who used to come over all the time. Or, you know, this is um, that other friend that I met at, you know, a, a game conference or something like that. And other people started messaging me saying like, hey, you know, I'm not comfortable being out about it to other people yet, but I just wanted to let you know that I actually think I also identify as like on the ACE spectrum somewhere too. And it was, there's all these kind of ACEs that, you know, are not ready to come out necessarily, who just sort of started coming out of the woodwork once I started being kind of loudly out as an asexual person. Um, and it's something we're funny now that we're several years on, like looking back, 
um, you know, the queer, people in the queer community always make jokes about how, you know, you make friends with random people in high school and yet somehow all the queer kids end up being friends. Mm -hmm. And I used to think like, oh, that's over-exaggerated. You know, I didn't have that many queer friends in high school, um, or so I thought. But then it turns out that, you know, given 10 years on and more time to kind of start exploring identities, it turns out that especially among like a bunch of the friends who I originally had just become friends with because of, you know, like anime club, game club, you know, shared nerdy interests. It turns out like, oh, like half of us are asexual and then like half of us are lesbian. And like, I think there's maybe like, I don't know, one or two straight people left from that group. But it's sort of, it just, it took some time to find out, but it turns out like, oh, I did accidentally make friends with all of the not straight kids. It's just none of us realized it at the time. Um, so yeah. I don't know, sometimes I wonder what it would have been like if we did, you know, talk more about sexuality or our lack thereof, you know, like, would I have kind of come to this identity a lot faster or more easily? But it's, I don't know, it's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm, kind of excited to see over time that there have been more open conversations about asexuality in particular. Um, so that, you know, maybe instead of like going through all this questionlance and turbulence alone, people who are coming through that experience in high school these days will be able to, you know, talk about it and maybe find friends with similar experiences. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome to hear that a lot of your friends were accepting, a lot of them ended up coming out to you later on, even trying to explore their own identities and just being able to finally be themselves, even though it took, takes like a decade. And like, I've seen a lot of like parallels with that with other types of sexual orientations or lack of sexual orientations. Like it takes a lot of time for people to do this self introspection. Cause like when you grow up with like a very small set of people or and you're in like a more rural area or suburban area that doesn't have as much diversity, like you're just not exposed to it. it never even occurred to you that that is an orientation that you could be and like I've heard so many people describe such a similar experience whether they're like gay and they're just like oh like I'm supposed to find you know I'm a guy and I'm supposed to find girls attractive it just has I just haven't hit my puberty yet and they just keep waiting and waiting and waiting and they're like oh I don't think that day's ever going to come and then they're like oh my god I might be gay and then I've known people who have had so many of those experiences and then sometimes even yeah finding out that they're asexual later on they're just like it just hasn't happened it just hasn't happened and like the more time it has I think the easier it is for people to accept something in themselves because they just they're not seeing their experience reflected in the media or they're not seeing it reflected in the society that they live in or in their immediate circles so yeah, like, I'm, yeah yeah I think it's just one of those things it's also it's, it's so easy when when asexual narratives aren't something that's on your radar it's very easy to just think like oh well i'm not interested in boys because i'm i'm too nerdy or i'm not interested in dating because i'm too focused on getting into college or you know like oh i'm, I'm not dating because my parents said i can't date until i'm 16 or whatever it's easy to just like think of kind of i don't know if, I, I don't know if excuses is the right word but it's it's easy to sort of explain it away until eventually you reach a point where you can't just explain it away. And so I think for me, that was part of it is, you know, there was sort of a delayed realization of my sexuality because it was so easier, like, you know, thinking about, about sexuality is hard. So it was so much easier to just kind of brush it aside and think like, oh, it's, I'm, I'm too focused on AP exams. That's why I've, I've never thought about dating a romance or, oh, I'm too focused on getting into college. And then it was, no, I'm too focused on, on graduating from college. Um, and I think it's also because, you know, there's not a lot of narratives of being asexual. There are a lot of narratives of like being, you know, married to your work or like 
um, too focused on intellectual pursuits or something to think about sex. So I, I want to see more narratives of being asexual that don't necessarily need a, a reason attached. Mm -hmm. But you know, some people just don't want to have sex or don't want to date or maybe they're aromantic or whatever. Um, and just kind of having those be options on people's radar. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it is just, you know, stories that get published or are on TV. They're people want to watch them because they want to see the drama or they want to see like something crazy or they want to see like a really dramatic relationship love triangle or whatnot versus like somebody just living their life doing their own thing is not really going to be like you know the prime thing that's going to be you know getting hundreds of mm -hmm. views or whatnot um i guess in terms of asexual orientation i know there's a lot more shows these days that have like asexual characters like that's something that I think is pretty exciting. Do you have anything you want to share about that, like asexuality in the media? So yeah, honestly, that's one of the things that's been, I think, like a really interesting development from when I first started kind of getting involved with asexual communities. Like I remember when I could count all of the asexual characters in pretty much any media on one hand, because there were like, I don't know, there were like three or four of them at one point. Um, so we've gone from that where asexuality was just like not in the media or was barely in the media to a point where now we have, you know, like huge, like hugely popular Netflix shows like Bojack Horseman mm -hmm. having an entire arcs about characters coming out as asexual. You know, it was not for a long time as, you know, like there would maybe be characters who were like maybe a little coded as asexual, whether intentionally or unintentionally, or like maybe there's a side character that drops the word asexual in one episode and then it's never mentioned again. But now we have a point where, you know, like asexuality is like having a huge revolution right now in um, young adult novels. Like we went in, in a period of a couple of years, we went from me having read everything that had asexual characters, because again, there were like four books, to like, I can't even keep track these days. There's so many coming out, like every couple months, you know, there's another young adult book with an asexual character. And that's, I think it's been a huge gain for the asexual community. Um, I think it's also been interesting. I think a lot of this has also been driven by people who were asexual young adults growing up without any of these kind of media role models, getting older and, you know, getting involved as authors, as people working in Hollywood and film and saying, you know, like, I grew up without any role models, but now I can, you know, make role models so the next generation doesn't have to grow up without these stories. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that I'm really excited about because that is a trend where asexual, the asexual community has been making huge gains in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I only recently just did a, a hosting for to watch Disclosure on Netflix and it's about trans representation and it's like really amazing like when they talk about all the progress that's been made in like the past five, six years like with online media and I mean Netflix I guess it is a Netflix series but in the show they actually talk a lot about how Netflix does add in a lot of like diversity within their representations of like people all over the spectrum of the LGBTQ umbrella um, which I thought was really amazing like what you mentioned Bojack Horseman's like a really famous example of like major characters who identify as asexual um, but then I guess in terms of kind of your overall life, like is your family accepting? It sounds like friends are pretty accepting. Was it difficult talking to your family about it? Yeah, so I think um, I've actually been really, really lucky. Um, and I've been fortunate in that, you know, not only my friends, but also my family have been 
very kind of accepting of my asexuality, like maybe a little bit confused at first and like unfamiliar with like, what is this word that you're using? What are you talking about? Um, but I think one thing that really helped is that even before I was ready to come out, um, you know, even before I started identifying with asexuality, as I mentioned, it was sort of painfully obvious that I was not talking about crushes. You know, I never brought anybody home, said like, hey, look, mom, it's my boyfriend or girlfriend or anything like that. Um, and one thing that I'm really grateful to my family for is they never put any pressure on me um, to, you know, bring someone home to tell me who they never did the thing, you know, where they, some people have parents who needle them and be like, Oh, so what boys do you think are cute? You know, are you going to be going to the dance with someone or anything like that? Or so my parents really didn't have that pressure. You know, you're like, you're happy. You're not in the hospital. You're not in jail. Everything seems to be going well. So, you know, whatever makes you happy. Um, as long as you're happy and healthy, we're not really too worried about anything else. Um, I think one of the things that also helped me, um, to be a little more comfortable when eventually getting to the point where I was coming out to my family. It was the fact that um, I had several relatives who were already had been openly queer for like decades before I was born. Um, so I think that was one of the things that helped is I already knew, you know, what the attitudes of everyone in my family was towards just kind of general, kind of more commonly known LGBTI identities, which was generally very accepting and pretty well educated about the differences and things like that. So I think that was already one huge burden lifted um, because there, there still was a lot of uncertainty just because acceptance of general LGBT identities doesn't always correspond with acceptance of asexuality. There's some people who are, are you know, totally fine and used to people identifying as lesbian and gay, but maybe are a little more weirded out by the idea of asexuality and find it a little stranger or more unfamiliar. Um, although, you know, sometimes there's the flip side. Sometimes someone who is you know, really hostile to lesbian and gay people might be much more ambivalent about asexuality. Um, so it's one of those things where no one, what do you know somebody is LGBT friendly more generally for like specifically towards like the L, the G, the B, and the T. It's usually a good sign that they're much, much more likely to be accepting about asexuality, but it's never something you can take as a given. Um, so I think I was a little wary about coming out at first, not necessarily because I thought that I would get a bad reaction, but more just that the experience of coming out as asexual, even to the most like welcoming and accepting of family and friends, it always requires explaining and answering questions. Like it's rarely just you say like, oh, I'm asexual. And then it's just like, oh, okay, cool. It's often, you know, like, oh, I'm asexual. And then, you know, the immediate question is, oh, what's that? And so coming out constantly, turns into, you know, a 30-minute explanation and education session, which is something, you know, like I do a lot of work in ASA education. I'm happy to do that sometimes, but there's sometimes like especially at work or places like that where it's sort of just like, you know, I'm not going to come out in this moment because I don't want to derail whatever we're talking about with the Mary suddenly leads a 30-minute education session. Um, so I think that's one of the things that's interesting about coming out as asexual is it's even when people are like eager to be accepting and are not hostile at all, there's a certain amount of work in clearing up misconceptions or confusion, um, which honestly I've had to do a much less over time as asexuality has become a little better known. Um, but I think that's kind of, I don't know if it's any better or worse than other experiences of coming out, but I think that is one thing that is a little more unique, um, not just to sexual, but to other emerging identities. So I know like non-binary people go through a lot of issues where 
coming out also means, you know, doing tons of explaining and answering questions and education. I think it's a common experience for many of these more emergent identities. They're just starting to become well known. Yeah, that's, it, it is a lot of work. And it's oftentimes the burden of the person who is like underrepresented to have to then explain to everyone else. Um, one thing I wanted to highlight is in the asexual community, there are ways to signal some visibility to other people who are asexual, so finding other aces. Uh, did you want to share a little bit about that in terms of like kind of the ring signal for each other? So yeah, I can talk a little bit. Um, if you start to get to know asexual people or come to asexual events, one of the things you may notice is a lot of us have um, may have like a black ring like this on our right hand, um, most commonly on the right hand middle finger, although sometimes people will wear it on any finger, just they have different jewelry preferences. Um, so the history of that is basically back around 2005 when the asexual community online was starting to get um, increasingly active. There was discussion about, you know, it would be nice to have some kind of like a, a physical symbol that we can use to represent kind of our pride in our sexuality. Um, something that's both unique enough that, you know, you can kind of, identify it a little bit, maybe if you're in the know, but also something that's subtle enough that, you know, you can wear it without being forced to come out as soon as, someone, as, soon as someone sees you. So for example, you know, like you could wear a t-shirt that says asexual in giant letters across it, and that would get the point across that you're asexual, but it also might require a bunch of kind of unwanted interaction about that identity that you may not always be ready for. And so one of the suggestions that someone brought up in one of those early conversations is like, hey, what about something like a ring? Um, so in many ways, the, the idea of the ace ring developed as sort of both a complement and a contrast to the idea that for many people, um, you know, when they have a significant relationship, um, whether that's sexual or romantic, whatever, they may wear something like a wedding ring or an engagement ring to symbolize that kind of partnership and that relationship. And so an asexual ring was thought of as something like as a bit of a contrast to that rather than representing your relationship with another person, it would be representing, you know, your relationship with your asexuality and with yourself. Um, and so that's one of the reasons, for example, it's worn on the right hand as a contrast to wedding rings, which might be worn on the left hand. Um, and, you know, it's not something that's mutually exclusive. I know some people who do have both. They have an ace ring on one hand, and then if, you know, they have some other kind of life partnership, they might have a wedding ring on the other hand. Um, but it's something that um, I personally started wearing an ace ring um, towards the end of, high, end of high school, right before I went to college at a point where, you no, know, frankly, I was not ready to come out to people yet. I was still very new in this identity. I was not completely comfortable coming out to people yet. I was still getting kind of my thoughts like kind of circled together. Um, and so for me, wearing an ace ring was a way to sort of recognize and reaffirm this new identity that I had found um, in a sort of more subtle way without necessarily having to start coming out to people. Um, that was something that it probably took me another year to really get comfortable doing. Um, and in addition, it's also just kind of a nice solidarity thing, even though it's, um, it's something where, you know, there's enough people who wear black rings for other reasons that if you see someone on the bus or on the subway, you know, you don't necessarily know, maybe they're asexual, maybe they just like getting black rings at Hot Topic, you know, it could go either way. Mm -hmm. um, but it is something nice for, you know, you have a bunch of asexual people in a room at like a conference or a meetup. It is sometimes fun to just kind of like, hey, you know, flash your ace ring and be like, hey, you too? Yep, me too. Um, that's, that's so also, awesome. Also, you know, like, and rings are nice. They're, they're subtle. They're something you can wear every day. Um, so it's kind of a fun little symbol. 
Um, the other common symbol that uh, you may see more often now um, is the asexual flag, which was developed in like late 2010, 2011. So it's, it's a bit of a newer symbol, but um, perhaps is more recognizable because you know, like a ring, it's only a ring, but like a flag, you can put on every, anything. A flag could be on a button, a flag could be in a parade, you could sew a flag to your jacket. Um, so some of you may have seen that. It's kind of a black, uh, gray, white, and purple flag. Um, actually, let me see if it'll show up on the Zoom call. I have one sitting behind me. Let's see. So, yeah, woo. So this is another symbol you may see if you ever are looking at I know we're not having any official pride parades this year, but if you look at pride parade recordings or things like that, you may see this flag raving around. So that is the asexual flag. That's, that's totally and awesome. So it's, it's kind of fun to have these little symbols of uh, community solidarity because they're a way of, you know, sometimes your sexuality may not come up in conversation, but you see someone passing and you see a little asexual flag on their backpack or on their jacket. It's kind of a nice reminder that, you know, you're not alone. There's, other people in your community out there. Yeah, I think visibility is really important. And, and like, I think it is nice that, you know, you have a small, small, subtle way of, you know, signaling to other people that you're accepting, you know, that you're also ace. Like, I think that's super cool. And I, if people don't want to wear jewelry, don't wear it. If you enjoy wearing jewelry and it's something that makes you happy, then, then do it. Like, I'm very much into giving people the opportunity to like be themselves. And like, I'm not like, I'm not even sure why sometimes people are so like controlling over people's sexuality or their orientations or their lack of thereof. Um, but that's, that's awesome that there's more signs of, and symbols of visibility in like the past 15 years, there's been like so much progress past 20 years. So it's awesome. I'm excited to see what is going to happen next. Um, again, I guess just to wrap up the conversation, do you have any other final tips or recommendations for people coming to terms with their ACE identities? Mm -hmm. So yeah, one of the first recommendations I wanna make um, for people who are you know, maybe questioning their asexuality or are kind of new to their asexuality and looking to explore the community more, or even just people who are maybe not asexual but are interested in learning more, um, I would definitely look up whether there is a local ACE community in your area. Um, so some ways to look at that. Um, I mentioned aces and arrows earlier. Um, so one of the things that group also does is they have, for those of you who are in North America um, or the US or Canada, they have a group directory of tons of local, like uh, some are community-based, some are college-based, but lots of local meetup groups. Um, or if you just go to meetup.com and search asexual, or even if you just Google asexuality and whatever your city name is. Um, there's been a lot of growth over the last several years of more local ACE communities. And those can be a great way to connect with people in your area where you can kind of chat more in person. You can find out whether there's any local educational events going on um, and just kind of get a more local connection. Because um, while online asexual communities are great, I think um, online interaction, you know, is not always a direct substitute for being able to talk to people face to face. Um, and even though, you know, right now with the whole coronavirus social distancing situation going on, you might not be able to meet face to face just yet. But a lot of these local groups are still hosting things like online meetups um, and various like online voice chats, video calls and things like that, um, which may be even more accessible if there's a community near you that maybe is a little too far to drive, but you know, you can easily hop on a web call. So I definitely would encourage people to connect with their local asexual communities, whether it's as an ace person looking to interact with the community or as a non-ace person looking to learn more. You can see if your local group has an announcements page or a mailing list 
and see, you know, like there's things like Asexual Awareness Week coming up in October. You could see if there's any interesting educational events that might be coming up then and so on. Um, and so beyond just talking to other asexual people, which I always encourage, um, some of the more conceptual things that I would encourage people to think about, um, especially for people who might be questioning or coming to terms with their asexual identity, I just will always want to share a reminder that when you come into asexual communities, you may see a lot of discussion about like specific definitions of asexuality. Like, oh, is it defined as lacking sexual attraction or is it defined as not being interested in sex? And what I would say is honestly, don't worry about the one-line definitions. You know, sexuality is something that's way too complicated to summarize in a single sentence or two. Um, what I would instead encourage, instead of focusing on these short definitions, is to, again, look at the narratives of asexual experiences. So read blogs or articles or listen to podcasts or videos by asexual people and then see, you know, is this an experience that I relate to? Or is this not something I relate to? And in particular, look at the experiences of different types of asexual people. So that can mean checking out, you know, aromantic aces like me versus maybe romantic aces who are much more interested in romantic relationships or people who are on the asexual spectrum in like the grayer areas of the spectrum. So like races or demisexuals who identify as somewhere between asexuality and something else. Um, you could talk, look at the experiences of, for example, Aces who may be like completely repulsed by the idea of sex versus, you know, maybe more sex favorable aces who might be more curious or interested in it, um, you know, and then also get perspectives from like disabled aces, older or younger aces, aces of different religions or races and so on. Um, because there, there is no single asexual experience. So even if the first experience read about, you know, may not be as relatable to you, maybe the second or third ace experience that you look at may be of more interest to you, whether it's something you end up identifying with or not. Um, and in addition, I think that learning about all these different perspectives can sometimes help you find the kind of specific niche of the ACE community that is going to be most helpful for you. For example, as an asexual, uh, as an asexual person who also identifies as aromantic, you know, a place where people are mostly talking about how asexuality impacts their like difficulty with dating, you know, it's not going to be as useful for me as maybe a corner where there's, you know, asexual and aromantic people gathering to talk about, you know, what does look, life look like when you don't have traditional romantic partnerships and things like that. Like, I think while the ACE community may seem small at first compared to other identity communities, once you get involved, you may realize like, oh, the ACE community is huge and there's so many different corners. There's like ACE communities on Avon, on Tumblr, on Reddit, on Facebook, offline and online. So sometimes I encourage people to check out lots of different communities and figure out which kind of niche of the ACE community has whatever you are looking for. Yeah, it's such an extremely, extremely diverse community. And a lot of people kind of viewing from the outside don't realize like how people can identify both as ACE and, you know, all, all over whichever direction. Like, it's, it's amazing. You can be ACE in a relationship, ACE with no interest in a relationship, ACE who are comfortable having sex maybe with a very certain select few people who after you've built an intellectual connection is when you feel more sex favorable versus people who are totally not interested don't even want to get close so i think it's it's such a diverse mm -hmm. community and i really appreciate you coming on and mm -hmm. sharing your experiences yeah one of the things i kind of want to add on to that on the topic of the diversity of ace communities is i think one of the things that's kind of be helpful to think about is that 
there isn't really a single experience of asexuality. Rather, it's better to understand the ace community as a, as a sort of coalition of people with lots of experiences that are, are not always the same, but had just enough in common that it made sense for us to kind of form a shared community to talk about the aspects of our experiences that are similar enough. So I think it's worth reminding that if you like, when you listen to other ACE experiences, if there's some that, you know, seem very different than what you personally experienced, that doesn't mean that you're the wrong, you're not really ACE or that they're not really ACE. It just means that there are kind of many different ways to come to the asexual community. Um, and that, you know, even though we may take a lot of paths to identifying as asexual and may choose to use different like definitions or ways of talking about asexuality, um, I think what connects us is that there are still many of these feelings and experiences with which are shared. Mm -hmm. um, so I think especially also, you know, for those who may not identify as asexual, maybe learning about it the first time, you know, when you hear from four different asexual people who have four different experiences, you know, that's not an issue of, you know, like three of them being wrong about asexuality. It's more just the perspective of, you know, there's a lot of different people who have come to find the asexual label useful. Um, and that's actually one of the things we emphasize is that when it comes to things like identities, it's useful to think of them as sort of tools rather than boxes. So when it comes to talking about sexual identities, instead of worrying about whether someone fits into like a specifically narrowly defined box or not, instead it's useful to think about, you know, is a label useful to you? Is it, does telling, using it like help you explain something about yourself to other people? Or does it help you find other people with similar experiences to you? And so, you know, if the label is useful for you, you know, instead of worrying about whether you fit into the box, if it's useful, go ahead and use it. If you ever reach a point where it's no longer useful, you know, feel free to set it down and move on to something else. Um, that's something I really want to emphasize that, you know, asexuality is not about whether you fit a definition. It's about whether the asexual community has something that is useful for you. That's awesome. That's such a great, very, very eloquent way of putting it. Um, and just to wrap things up, can you let the listeners know where to find a little bit more about you or kind of the local resources that you're involved with? Yep, definitely. So um, if anyone is interested in hearing any more of my perspectives about asexuality, um, I blog about asexuality right now at nextstepcake.wordpress.com. Um, so you can read about my blog post there. I also have my contact information if you're curious and have any questions or if you know you want to ask for recommendations for further reading or other resources or anything like that. Um, in addition, if anyone else watching this happens to also be in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, we also have, I'm part of a local ACE group that has a website at www.asexualitysf.org. So if you are ever happen to find yourself in the Bay Area and you're curious about what local ACE resources are available, um, we have lots of information about local comings and goings there. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate your time today. I learned a lot. Hopefully others will have learned a bit more about this often less represented but extremely diverse identity. So closing off as always, we're going to take a deep breath in. Taking a deep breath out. Thanks again and take care. Hey, me too. Thank you.